Hello, 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 and welcome into episode number 76 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer. Uh, we've spent the last couple of weeks talking ad nauseum about the Olympics, so I would be remiss if I did not mention uh, that the Olympics have began. Friday was the opening ceremony, the first day of Olympic events as well, and uh, boy, oh boy, we've already seen our traffic go crazy at Outsports. I mentioned it last week, Olympics are the most gay-friendly sporting event. Even gays who want nothing to do with sport love them some Olympics, and why is that? I can't believe I overlooked this last week, but it's the sex appeal, of course. We had Tongan's super hot flag bearer out there again on Friday, neighboring Vanuatu, another island in the Pacific, about 1,200 miles from Tonga, had a super hot, oiled-up flag bearer of their own. There must be a body oil shortage in that part of the world because, man, oh man, those two guys are using all of it. So yes, the sex appeal, the divers, the swimmers, the oiled-up flag bearers, of course, the rowers, Of course, that's what the gays really love about the Olympics. Come on. How could I have been so naive? But on that note, I did write an article this week on Outsports, one that I'm quite proud of, and it actually is a a bit of a, I don't want to say rehash, because that would make you not want to read it. Definitely read it. It expands on, ah, there we go. It expands on what I was talking about a couple weeks ago on the podcast about the plan that the Olympic organizers have to make Tokyo 2020 the first ever sexless Olympics. And, uh, well, we've seen that go full board this week. There's the Tokyo 2020 Playbook of Safety Measures. The handbook advises athletes to avoid unnecessary forms of physical contact, no hugs, no handshakes, no high fives. So, in other words, anything involving the human touch, banned Alcohol sales also banned uh, organizers handing out about one-third as many of the record 450,000 condoms they handed out in Rio. Uh, Athletes are discouraged from using those condoms while they're in the Olympic Village. I mean, this anti-sex campaign has gone so far that one American distance runner even theorized on Twitter this week that athletes are being forced to sleep in anti-sex cardboard beds. Now, that has been debunked. They're actually just renewable beds, which is very important and something we should all applaud since our planet is literally on fire as we speak. But uh, hey, that just shows you where the sentiment has gone. And as I wrote on Outsports this week, and as I said a couple weeks ago here on the podcast, it's just futile. It's futile. Olympians are going to have sex, pandemic or no pandemic. Why do I know that? Because I know human behavior, and I know that people had sexual relations during the COVID lockdowns here. Again, human behavior is human behavior. Now, of course, nobody wants the Olympics to be a super spreader event, especially since only 20% of Japanese people are fully vaccinated. But here's the thing. Japan is under state of emergency. That means no fans at any of these events in Tokyo. So athletes are almost only hanging out with themselves, the IOC estimates 85% of Olympic and Paralympic athletes are vaccinated. We've still seen some breakthrough cases of COVID. But, uh, and by the way, it is ridiculous that 100 American Olympians are not vaccinated. I mean, you know, speaking in, in the grand context 
of, of the numbers, that's not a huge percentage. It actually is a larger percentage of Olympians are fully vaccinated than Americans. But uh, man, I mean, how, 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 how about zero? Like either you're vaccinated or you don't go. It should be as simple as that. But the IOC says we have 85% vaccinated in the Olympic Village. And in the name of the game, and we've even talked about this on the podcast over the last year and a half, especially in the midst of the COVID lockdowns last summer, the name of the game is risk mitigation. Because again, I will say it, human behavior is human behavior. The New York City Health Department, early on in COVID, released a guide to safe sex in a pandemic. And they instructed revelers to keep it kinky, be creative with sexual positions and physical barriers like walls that allow contact while preventing face-to-face contact. Those suggestions, yeah, they're funny and we laughed about it, but they were a nod to reality. People will engage in sexual activities. It's everything the Olympic organizers aren't doing. I spoke with a doctor from the Fenway Institute here in Boston. He agreed with me in the piece. He said at a certain point, there's an element of autonomy and self-determination that you have to afford people. And that's my overall point. Organizers may want to have a sexless Olympic Games, but it's just not going to happen. I know human behavior. I also know a major story when I see it. And the Olympics, of course, are a huge story. But we had another big story in LGBTQ sports this week. We had our first professional hockey player under an NHL contract come out as gay. Luke Prokop is a 19-year-old prospect in the Nashville Predators organization. He came out as gay on Monday. And unsurprisingly, we saw a sea of support from the NHL, Commissioner Gary Bettman issued a very supportive statement. The league issued supportive statements. Prokop says he's been accepted by his teammates, his coaches, members of Predators management. And that's, as I said, not surprising. We saw the same thing with Carl Nassib last month in the NFL. Male pro sports are ready for openly gay athletes. We've We've been saying that for years and we're Seeing that come to fruition now, and I do think there is a bit of a domino effect here, but the question is, and the question that we're going to dig into on this week's show with our guest Brock McGillis, who is the first person to, is the first professional hockey player to come out as openly gay in North America. Uh, So Brock McGillis is all over these kind of stories. He has a great relationship with Luke, and he's big on... Okay, a supportive tweet, a pride night, that's great, but what else do you have? What else do you got? It can't just stop there. You have to do the hard work to change the culture. And Brock McGillis believes that despite all the public support you see for Luke Prokop, we still have not seen the the hockey culture change. And Brock McGillis was a professional hockey player, but he didn't play in the NHL. He played in Canada when he talks about hockey culture, he's not just talking about the National Hockey League. That is one component of hockey culture as a whole. I mean, less than 1% of boys who play hockey growing up are going to make the NHL. So it's about the 99 point whatever percent. It's about protecting them. And Brock McGillis still says there is a lot of work to do in that respect. So you'll hear my conversation with Brock but Luke Prokop coming up on the other side of this break. It's Sports Geeky Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. 
And welcome back to the podcast. It is the Sports Kiki, and on the phone line right now, as I mentioned in the opening, very excited to, for him to make his debut, actually, on the podcast. We've spoken for a few stories before, but never uh, in a venue like this. Uh, Brock McGillis is on the phone line. Brock, how are you? Thanks for coming on. Am I a podcast virgin? Uh, this For this podcast, at least. For this podcast, yeah. I've done about 365,000 of them, so... <laughs> Um, so, 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 the, so the opposite of uh, breaking your podcast cherry, I guess. But you're breaking your sports <laughs> kiki cherry. So, yeah. So, yeah. so, so there you go. Um, <laughs> I know that you were quoted extensively in the athletic story with Luke Prokop. Um, so I don't want to just want to ask you what your reaction to the news was of his coming out this week. But I did. Like, I mean, you said a lot of interesting things in the article, but one thing that I did zone in on, and it's something that I think a lot of LGBTQ people can uh, understand, is you said you are envious that Luke can now live his life as an openly gay man at 19 years old, publicly coming out. Why is that? Because I couldn't. Yeah. Um, the sport wasn't... and and. If I'm being totally frank, I still don't think it fully is a safe space for um, the men's side of the sport isn't a safe space for queer people. What do you make of the uh, reaction, though, that Luke has gotten? It seems very positive from the NHL and the community. Oh, of course. I, I knew it would be positive. Mine was positive. Right. You, you know, every I, I, I don't think these people are bad people. I, I, I don't think hockey people or sports people are like, obviously there's going to be a few bad people. That's inevitable. That's society. Right. But for the most part, I think they're good people. And I think they would be supportive of a, um, a queer player. I, I just don't think the sport, the culture has shifted enough to make it safe for people to be queer within it consistently. Um, those, yeah. the, those sentiments are lovely, but what tangible action is happening to like really shift the culture um, other than that's great. We support you, but you know, people are still using homophobic language in the locker rooms. So it's still heterosexist. It's still, you know, um, the same stuff we've been talking about forever and, and that hasn't evolved at all. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, and it's interesting that Luke, I think he said this to ESPN, made the comment that he too has engaged in some of that talk in the locker room. I mean, so that's pretty telling that you can know you're gay. And I did it growing up playing sports too and still engage in that casual homophobia. It just shows you how prevalent it really is. Oh, yeah. I mean, I used it. I, I don't yeah. hide that. I talk about that regularly. I mean, I, I was a womanizing hockey bro. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was. And, I, and I'm ashamed to admit that. But, like, it's a reality. And it's something I, I am honest about because I think it's how the culture will evolve. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we can't continue to hide what it is. We have to be honest and look at it for what it is in order to shift it. And and, you know, I don't think I'm a bad person. Did I do shitty things? Absolutely. So um, did I use terrible language? Yeah. And, and yeah, I did. So now I'll fix it uh, for myself and for hopefully others. And, and that's what, you know, I would really like others to do. Yeah, and, and that leads me to the next question, and we've talked about this before, you know, wh how do you take these steps to actually 
fix the culture. You mentioned that the support is great, but not enough. What would be a step towards enough for the NHL or hockey, you know, hockey and, leagues in general? Yeah. So, and when I say that, I think people are going to eye roll and, and I, I want to tell them that, you know, for every Luke Prokop that comes out, I have hundreds of thousands of kids who come to me annually that are quitting. So for every kid that can conform fully to the culture and be the six foot five hyper masculine hockey bro, mm-hmm. there's um, so many who can't and they quit. And, you know, less than 1% of the population actually makes a dime in this sport right? or in any sport. So, um, in order, in order for, you know, it to be a safe space, we can't just focus on that, you know, less than 1%. We have to make an empower, an empowering space, a safe space for all people at every level. Um, I I think in order to do that, hockey is very unique. If you think of sports in North America, you look at, uh, most sports are played in schools growing up. Right. Well, they might they might have tournament teams and different things on weekends, but typically they play for their school team. So the volleyball team, the basketball team, the soccer team, the baseball team, the football team, they may all share a locker room. Yes. So now, now you're getting diversity of different forms, socioeconomic, race, you know, uh, different things. And then on top of that, you um, may share a field with, the women's teams, you may share courts with the women's teams and be around each other. So you're getting, you know, diversity there and since you have boys and girls or men and women in the, in the same spaces. Um, most sports in schools have a teacher on staff. So you have somebody who is representing the school to ensure that it's a safer space. You have, um, you still have, you know, kids who want to become academics who are focused on academia in the school on clubs, so they're around. You have gay straight alliances in school, so you're, you're getting diversity in that sense. In hockey, we're isolated off in arenas from the age of eight years old. We're broken up by age and skill level. And our influencers are coaches who typically are former players uh, that are coming in and, you know, the, there's nobody... There's no accountability in the sense that if a teacher starts using homophobic or racist or, or misogynistic language coaching a team, they're going to lose their job, a paid job. Right. Right. There, there's none of that in hockey. So so now you have people perpetuating, you know, a culture and, and reinforcing a culture on youth that they then grow up with. And it's six to seven nights a week from the age of seven or eight years old until you reach... 16 and i think we're the only sport in north america where kids move away from home at 16 years old consistently right right and they really and they become and they become so immersed in the hockey culture it's inescapable it's seven days a week when you move away from home and it's not just at the rink your only friends in these new towns are typically your teammates so you go to school with them you hang out with them and you play hockey with them so it's seven days a week 24 hours a day and then you go home in your off season after spending eight or nine months there and you hang out with the people you grew up with who were the other hockey players. Right. So it's, it's, it's like 12 months of the year. You're, you're solely, you're in this incredibly insular environment where you're basically around hockey people coming from the same culture, similar cultures 
all the time. Like, I did uh, a Zoom uh, speaking engagement with a, a school recently, and it was a, a, one of those sports schools. So they had athletes from different sports. I could tell just from the way a kid was sitting and what they were wearing that they were a hockey player. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Uh, they, they conform fully. Yeah. Uh, they dress the same, talk the same, walk the same because of the reasons I just said. They're around each other. Like they, they morph into, you know, almost acting like the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I could tell. I, I was sitting there and I usually, when I have speaking gigs and I know there's going to be hockey players in the room, I typically try and ask them a question to get them to critically think because I'm passionate about sport and also about hockey. So I asked this one kid a question and um, without knowing if he was a hockey player. And then he had me at Instagram after and sure enough, he's going to the OHL this year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, I, and I did want to talk about, you know, the relationship that you have developed with Luke. And I think that's so cool, right? I mean, he develops a friendship with you, Bane Pettinger. You, of course, had a friendship with Brandon Burke prior to coming out yourself. So it's just kind of amazing how... Those who did not conform, you've, you've, everyone's found each other. Yeah, I think, you know, Luke and I share this bond and, and this closeness that is really unique. Like before Luke, I was the only men's professional hockey player to come out in North America. Right. So to share that with somebody like we we have very similar lived experiences and and to be able to share that with somebody is really special um there's there's a bond there that you know is you can't really describe but we know what each other goes through or has gone through and um, we became, we've become really, like, we text every day. That's that. That's close. I, there are not many people I text every day, Brock, except my mom, maybe. We, so. We've talked every day since I was put in touch with them just over a month ago. And uh, we, we've become like, I, I told his parents before he came out that, you know, um, that I'm here for their son and I'm going to him but it's not just right now like like what he he and i share something special and and i'm here for luke for the rest of his life yeah that's that that's so amazing and i'm, I'm glad you found each other and texting every day that as i said that is a serious commitment as you know brock um so it's interesting luke is 19 years old you don't want to put a, too much pressure on him you've talked about this but just what do you think the overall impact of this coming out is and what are you already sensing five days later? Um, again, um, I find it to be more like my story where there's an extreme amount of positive responses, but then nothing really happens to shift the culture. I mean, mm-hmm. two days later, we're finding out that, um, you know, in, in court, documents that um, a Chicago Blackhawks player who was sexually assaulted is um, is you know was um, 
that his teammates not only knew and the coaches knew and the management allegedly all right. knew. But then the following season and seasons after that, in practice, they would call him a faggot. Wow. Because he was sexually assaulted by a man. Uh, they would say to him that, oh, you're not focused on hockey because you're too concerned about sucking dick again. Brutal. Like this, this came out yesterday. And hmm. sure, that happened, you know, um, the initial incident was in 2010, but those like following seasons, that's like three or four years of that. We're talking like, you know, less than 10 years ago. Many of those people are still involved in hockey. The same people are running that team. Uh, many of those players still play in the NHL or work in broadcasting or coaching. So, um, you know, the sentiments are nice, but until there's an overhaul of the culture, I have very little faith in in what's happening. Yeah, and that's and that's a big step, and we'll we'll see what happens. But that certainly uh, it takes more than a couple of nice tweets to get to your point to change this long-standing that's, culture. Well, yeah, it's the same thing as having a pride night. Right. It's very easy to have a pride night and make it seem as if everything's great in the culture. I know that for some people they really enjoy pride night, so I don't want to no, it's great. that right. for for queer people. But it's not, you know, eradicating homophobia and to me it should be the celebration once you've actually shifted your culture. Hmm. Pride itself didn't start as the celebration it's become. No, certainly not. And as corporations get more involved, I mean, you know, we know that story. But uh, yeah, it's it's putting uh, it's the celebrations is great. I love to celebrate, but you're right, the work can't be forgotten either, and that's that's the main thing. Do the work first, then go celebrate. And 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 it's the same thing here with with Luke's story. It's lovely that this, but I mean, his own team has a partnership with Chick Fil A. <laughs> Ten oh. teams in the NHL still do. You always always got to look at the partnerships. That's that's where the secrets tend to lie. Uh, Brock McGillis, thank you for uh, uh, giving us some of your insights here. I was I was going to say spilling some of your secrets, but you're 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 already all out in the open. So, so Brock, thanks. Yeah, I don't hide much uh, to my own. Uh... You know, maybe detriment sometimes, but <laughs> that's why we love to have you on the podcast. We're happy to break your sports kiki virginity. We'll have you back soon, Brock. Thanks, man. And anytime. All right. So a big thanks go out to Brock McGillis for taking the time and coming on the show today. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I enjoyed participating in it. Brock's a great guy. He's one of the good people who I've met working here at Outsports the last year and a half. And uh, yeah. It's a good relationship. He's a good guy. He's very insightful. I like him because he takes the conversation to the next level. Like, great, the supportive tweets, yay, but let's dig a little deeper here. I always like people who do that, ran on the parade a little bit, <laughs> a little cynicism, but no, it, it, Brock's intentions are, are pure. They're great, and he does great work, so it was great to have him on the show this week. So long, everybody. I'll talk to you next on the podcast next Saturday. <laughs>